Okay, we're here on the on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to pick up our story in John chapter 21. And I, I want you to really focus with me. To me, this is probably the most important, not maybe not the most important lesson, but this is my favorite lesson I will do the entire trip. This is this is one of the most beautiful stories on grace that you're going to see anywhere in the Bible. John chapter 21. And uh, the story takes place somewhere in this area, maybe not the exact spot, but right here on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and I'll kind of break it down as I go. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Notice again that it's being called the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee sometimes at different names. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin... Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples of his disciples were together. So there's seven of the twelve. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. You know, what do you do when all your hopes and all your dreams have been dashed? What do you do when you believe God for your healing and it hasn't happened? What do you do when what you've dreamed of and believed for and held on to doesn't occur? Simon Peter doesn't know what else to do. He says, hey, I'm going back to what I used to do. I'm going back fishing. And because he's such a leader and has leadership abilities, he drags six other disciples with him. Some of them were not even originally fishermen. So he's calling them. Now they're going taking up fishing because none of them know what to do. They think Christ is dead. They don't know what to think. They don't know what to believe. They're not sure where to go. Have you ever been in that place? So Simon Peter says in verse 3, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Could be a shore just like this one, where Jesus is standing out looking at them. Isn't it interesting and comforting to know that when we don't know what to do and we just go do whatever, Jesus is standing on our shores of our life, and he's watching us, and he's right there for us. And so when morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? I imagine they're probably a hundred yards out, and he's, and he's, Hey, do you have anything? Do you have a good catch? And they answered him, No. And he says to them in verse 6 is where we're really going to begin. He says, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. I find this very interesting. What is Jesus doing here? He is taking the disciples back three years early to the earlier to the start. When he first called them, he said, Hey guys, cast your net on the right side of the boat in Mark chapter 5. And Simon Peter said, What? When you fish the Sea of Galilee right here, you fish it at night and you fish it in shallow waters. But you're telling us after we fished all night and haven't caught anything, to go out into the deep waters in the day and catch something? Come on, Jesus, you know how to build my house and my dinner table, but we're the fishermen. Yet they obey him, and they catch so many fish that the net is breaking, and they have to have the other boats. Well, guess what Jesus does? Same story. Hey, guys, you catch anything? Nope, we fished all night, haven't caught anything. He says, throw the net on the right side of the boat. Now, these fishermen are a little dull at this point, and they don't understand what Je that it's Jesus, and they don't understand, wait a minute, Jesus is bringing the disciples back to the start again. 
He's renewing them, if you will. Verse 7, Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Peter, I can just see him now. You, you ever seen something dramatic and you don't look at somebody and you just kind of, Peter, Peter, and you're hitting them in the face and the nose and you're, look, Peter, it's Jesus. One of the disciples discovers, he says, wait a minute, I remember this. It's Jesus. It's the Lord. Look what he says. He says, Simon Peter, it's the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. Peter doesn't recognize Jesus standing right in front of him. How many times in our life has Jesus been right in front of us, but because we were so filled with sorrow, depression, and disappointment, we couldn't see Jesus standing right in front of us? Wow. Does that ever happen to you? Sometimes you get so disheartened, so, so depressed, in your life that you can't see him standing there. So full of depression, so full of sorrow, you can no longer see Jesus working in your life right in front of you. Have you ever been to the place in church where somebody says, man, I see Jesus working in your life, and you're like, what? I don't see nothing. We can get so filled with our own needs and disappointments that we miss Jesus standing right in front of us. Peter turns, and he jumps into the water to get to Jesus, he leaves one of the greatest catches of his life behind. They caught so many fish that he leaves it all behind. And what a great challenge for you and I. Are you willing to walk away from some of the greatest blessings you've ever had? Are you willing to walk away from the money or whatever it is to get to Jesus? Basically, Simon Peter said, we have one of the greatest catches of all time, but I don't care about that. I got to get to Jesus. My soul ambition right now is to get to Jesus. Verse 8, but the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from land about 200 cubits dragging the net with fish. So maybe about 75 yards out. It's interesting Simon Peter was willing to leave the catch the other disciples were not. Verse 9, what happens? Then as soon as they had come to land they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Simon Peter came to Jesus and got a better blessing. He left raw fish or sushi for cooked fish and bread. You never leave something in the world that you don't get better from Jesus, ever. When you give tithes and offerings, he multiplies it even more. And as he approaches, he sees a charcoal fire. And I want you, this is so important to the story here. He sees a charcoal fire in the Bible, like, like Tamar likes to say, you know, sometimes the Bible's not detailed. Here it's very detailed. He sees a charcoal fire, and he must remember that roughly 50 days earlier, or however many days earlier it was, that it was at a charcoal fire that he denied Jesus and began to cuss and cut off ears. Can you see him warming his hands at Caiaphas' house? Now he sees that fire and it's recreated his denial of Christ. I, I want you to see what Jesus is doing here. It's the only other time in the New Testament that this is mentioned, this, this charcoal fire is mentioned. And as he does, as he sees the fire, just like when he denied Christ, the, the Gospel of John says when he denied Christ that Jesus and him locked eyes. Now he's on the seashore here 
and he's locking eyes. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even 50 days earlier. It was much shorter than that, as I recall in my mind now. Do you know what Jesus is doing? This is so important. You've got to catch this. He is recreating Simon Peter's darkest and deepest betrayal. And in that context of the passage, where Simon Peter will now get the deepest and most awesome grace. He is basically recreating the worst denial and betrayal that Simon Peter has ever done to Jesus so that he can show him his greatest grace. I love this. He is showing Simon Peter how undeserving he is of his grace is what he's doing. But how much grace and forgiveness at the same time he is willing to give Simon Peter. Think about it. Did Jesus Christ really catch, clean, and cook fish for the very guys that denied him and ran from him in his worst moment? The answer is yes. Will Jesus really do this kind of thing for us? In Jesus' worst hour, the same guys who denied him and let him go to a cross and die alone is the same one he's now cooking, catching, catching, cooking, and cleaning fish for as if a way to say, hey, I forgive you. Wow. Does Jesus really provide for our needs and touch our lives when we betray him the worst? The answer is yes. This is one of the beautiful, most beautiful pictures on grace you will find in the New Testament. Verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. I love it. Now Jesus doubles their blessing. He says, not only am I going to give you cooked fish and bread, but go ahead and bring all the other stuff too. See, we think when Jesus asks us to give tithes and offerings that we give and we never get it back, that's not the way God works. His word says when you give, he'll give back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You never give, leave something for Jesus that he doesn't bless you more than that to begin with. Hallelujah. Verse 11. Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. I, I love this. Historians claim that back then that there were 153 different types of fish in the Sea of Galilee. The reason the Bible says 153 is Jesus is basically saying... All types and every human being is welcome to have my grace. There's no one excluded. Just as there's 153 types of fish out here, there's 100, all the different types of people and cultures and nationalities. They're all welcome to receive my grace and come into the kingdom of God. What a beautiful verse. A clear depiction that Christ wants to save all types and to come and die for all mankind. And when it says that the net was not broken... What it's saying is the kingdom of God can handle all types into it. No matter how bad someone's been, they can come to grace through Jesus Christ. Man, this is powerful. So let's read on. Verse uh, 12, Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you, knowing it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, as I think about it now, this is probably only about eight days after he has been raised from the dead. So, verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, this is the famous few verses, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. The word love here is phileo. 
Do you love me in a friendship kind of way? Or excuse me, it's agape. Do you love me in an agape way? And he says, Simon Peter answers, says, you know I love you, and, a, and he uses the word phileo. Yeah, I love you like a friend, Jesus. He says to him, feed my lambs. He says to him a second time, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Agape love. He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Phileo kind of love, friendship kind of love. He says to them, tend my sheep. Then verse 17, he says to them the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? This time Jesus uses the word phileo, which is friendship. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Which is phileo love. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want you to notice the order in which Jesus said to do things. First he said, feed my lambs. Then he said, tend my sheep. Then he said, feed my sheep. This is a clear order for pastors and how we're supposed to order things in ministry. Number one, we are supposed to feed the baby Christians first. Number two, we are supposed to tend to the administration and the organization of the church second. Third, we are supposed to feed the sheep, the adult, mature Christians last. We feed the babies first, we tend to the administration of the church, and then thirdly, we feed the mature adult Christians. That's the order in which Jesus said to do things. Now watch this. Three times Jesus asked Simon Peter, after three times Simon Peter denied him, roughly about eight days earlier. Three times Jesus recommissions, you've got to hear this in closing, three times Jesus recommissions Simon Peter for ministry. You've got to hear this. Each of the three betrayals deepens Simon Peter's guilt, his remorse, and his condemnation. Yet each of the three moments of love here reiterates Simon Peter's call to the ministry. He is basically saying, I know you've blown it, but I'm still recommissioning you for ministry. Just because you've blown it doesn't mean you're no good for ministry anymore. I am recommissioning you. I'm forgiving you, and I'm resending you back out for the work of the Lord. Wow! If Simon Peter couldn't blow it so bad, neither can you and I. The call of God is without repentance. Not only is he forgiven of his sins, he is recommissioned for Christ's ministry. And you and I can do the same. We've all made mistakes. God will forgive us, and he'll recommission us and send us right back out into the ministry, into the world to do the work of God. You must know that when you repent of your sins before God, that you're not only forgiven, you are recommissioned for ministry. That's what he was doing right here on this seashore. Hallelujah. He is redeeming Simon Peter's whole life, every aspect of it. He is bringing back to the beginning, and he's making everything brand new. Isn't that what Jesus does for us? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is what Jesus did for us when we first got saved. But here's the problem with Christians. We believe Jesus can do this when we first get saved, but I'm telling you that he'll do this for us when we repent and we're all wily veterans in Christ. It's not just a first-time thing. It's always when we come to God. Jesus' redemption and restoration just doesn't happen for us when we first get saved. It happens over a lifetime. Anytime we repent and cry out to Christ. What if Jesus had said, well, I forgive you, but uh, I don't really want to see your face again, Simon Peter. You go back fishing. As a matter of fact, you move down there to Jerusalem. I don't ever want to see your face again. You go to the other side of the earth. You're forgiven, but get out of my face. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that? And aren't you glad he doesn't do that with you and I? 
We are called into the ministry because of His grace and not our own ability or perfectness. This story is about Jesus restoring Simon Peter and the disciples and then sending them back out. And according to Acts 17.6, they changed the world upside down. They did a poll one day and they asked, what is the three favorite sayings of Americans? They polled thousands of people. And here's the three answers that they came up with. I love this. The three favorite sayings of Americans are, I forgive you, that, that Americans want to hear. I forgive you, I love you, supper's ready. I forgive you, I love you, supper's ready. Watch this. That's what Jesus was doing right here on this seashore to Simon Peter and those disciples. I forgive you, I love you, supper's ready. Brothers and sisters, that's the New Testament. You want to boil down the New Testament message? I forgive you. I love you. Supper's ready. Wow. 